0: And start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey everybody, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I've got Aaron Hill with me, who's a professor at the University of Florida. So thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: It's yeah. A, it's, a, it's an honor. Absolutely. Well, you got a unique story, uh, being obviously in basketball and then now in the academic world. If you wouldn't mind, kind of give people some some background as where you grew up and what that was like for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up uh I guess uh, where i'm from we call it the inland northwest so and i say hey i'm from washington and people say dc and then like no and the state and then they say seattle like no like
0: four you hours not. inland
1: <laughs> um, so i grew up near spokane part of my life in northern idaho part of my life uh, outside spokane um and uh my dad was uh, an old coach and then was in athletic sales um, had like a sporting goods store uh so that was kind of my, my upbringing was all about sports, um, which was awesome. Unfortunately, you know, the dream of playing in the NBA or Major League Baseball didn't quite make it. That's how uh, it goes. Uh, but I went to college in Gonzaga, which was, you know, maybe about 40 minutes from where I grew up uh, and wanted to play, but wasn't quite good enough. So ended up working with the program for, for four years during my undergrad time there. Uh, and then stayed on at the university. Uh, I was a graduate assistant um, in some capacities with basketball and then, then with baseball as well. Uh, then transitioned into fundraising for the university for a few years. So did athletic fundraising, mostly on you know, selling sponsorship packages, uh, that type of thing. At that time, Gonzaga was building a new arena. So really working on the new arena, which is a fantastic experience. Uh, did that for a few years and honestly just Uh, And maybe we'll get into this. Uh, I loved the coaching side. Like, I love the aspect of working as a team and and competition. I didn't love the recruiting side of things. Uh, And I would say the same with fundraising. Uh, I loved working towards a goal, but I didn't necessarily love kind of asking people for money and being in some ways beholden. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do and had some professors at Gonzaga. uh, like, well, you should, you're smart, you should do, try being a professor, so I, I really just kind of jumped into it blind, I figured, what's the worst case, I'm pretty young, if it doesn't work, yeah, I'll do something else, or at least I've got a degree,
0: yeah,
1: uh, so it was really just, honestly, kind of blind luck, And uh, I did, like, very little research in the process, I talked to a few professors, uh, one of them had a friend at Oklahoma State, so he said, hey, you should apply Oklahoma State. Um, so I was very late. Like, typically, people apply like say around Christmas time. Um, and this was like April. So I'd already missed all the other application deadlines. And it was basically like I had a very quick phone conversation with the guy at Oklahoma State. Uh, he's like, yeah, sure, you could start in the fall. Uh, pretty informal. So that was, <laughs> that was it. I ended up at Oklahoma State. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's go back real quick into your time growing up in, um, in you know, Eastern Washington and, and uh, Northern Idaho. Uh, what, I mean, you had some some siblings, right? Did you guys all play sports yeah. growing up and, and what was that like and what sports did you play and how do you feel like those things shaped you um, at an early age?
1: Yeah. I have, a, I have one older brother um, and he is uh, almost two years older in age, but only one year in school. Okay. Which is the way the, way all that worked I guess um, then I grew up uh, my mom is from a family of five siblings and uh, I grew up with all of her brothers and sisters kids so almost like extended uh, you know some of them are almost brother or sister-esque mm-hmm. so I grew up playing a lot of sports with them or you know we were just playing sports all the time so I you know, kind, of, kind of non-stop as a little kid like you just go from you know mini mod soccer to Okay. Now it's cold basketball. Okay. Now it's yeah. warm baseball. Uh, yeah. Hey, th- th- there's a wrestling thing. Go wrestle. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, my parents just kept us active pretty much year round doing something, uh, mm-hmm. which was great. So yeah, youth sports. I, I pretty much played all the, all the youth sports. We didn't have tackle football, but played flag football for a little while. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, as, as you get older, uh, I went to a pretty small high school. So we had, uh, We were like maybe 300 students, uh, which was, was awesome in many ways because it afforded me the opportunity to play in all three sports. Uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't have to, you know, maybe some of the bigger schools I would have had to drop one or maybe even two. Um, so in high school I played football, uh, basketball and baseball, uh, which was a fantastic experience.
0: Yeah. You know, looking back, what are some things you feel like you learned through playing, uh, those sports that really helped you as you progressed in life.
1: So, uh, yeah, I've had this conversation a lot lately, mostly because we just had a baby. So my wife and I are already thinking about, like, it just changes everything, right? Like you're watching a movie and there's a, there's a, like a sports injury in gymnastics. You're like, well, maybe gymnastics is not a good sport. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we're half joking. Um, yeah. But we, we both agree that just getting our child active uh, teaches so many life lessons uh, you know some sports I was better than other sports at and I think both sides of that coin are really important that you can learn how to be relatively good at something and, and be humble about it uh, because you can also learn to be relatively bad at something but also contribute right be mm. you know um, and I think maybe my dad being a coach instilled a lot of that like you may only play one minute but you better play hard for that one minute and the other you know, 31 minutes, uh, you better be playing hard on the bench. I mean, you know, like be an active teammate, be into the game, that type stuff. Uh, So I, I think sports really instills a lot of those just general life lessons, right? How to, you know, especially team sports, like there's sometimes the team wins because you played well. There's sometimes the team wins despite you playing bad. Yeah. There's sometimes like you're really no part of any of the success or failure. You're just there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think all of those things are, are really good life lessons that you, know, you can contribute, you can be a detriment. Uh, so I, I think those are really just life lessons.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, did your, your dad being a coach, was he uh, connected to Gonzaga? Did he go to Gonzaga? Or how did you guys transition to Gonzaga? Was it just because it was close and obviously they had a great basketball program too. Yeah, it was
1: honestly, um, it was dumb luck. Uh, I think back sometimes in life, a lot of things are just kind of fortuitous. Like, you know, you, you you make these decisions with limited information at the time, and then you make the best of it. So I, uh, at the time, I'd actually considered uh, going to the Air Force Academy, and I thought, okay, uh, like the practical side of my brain said, hey, this is free school. <laughs> and it's you know world-class education and you're guaranteed a job when you get out right like it's not a bad thing um, so I actually met with the congressperson and was going down the thing and, and I failed the eye test so I wanted to be a pilot uh, and uh, yeah, I failed the depth perception which probably explains some of my uh, baseball skills <laughs> <laughs> so I had that just kind of changed trajectory I considered playing uh, sports at, at some smaller schools, like you know, D3, uh, and I think one thing I, I was really thankful with is uh, is both my high school basketball coach and my dad were supportive, but kind of practical about it, like, hey, you can go there and have a great time, but you're basically free labor, like, at some point, the fun has to stop, right, like, are you going to go pay for three years of, extending the dream, right? Uh, so kind of decided, yeah, that, that's some really good advice. Um, and, I, you know, looking back, it's hard to hear, right? Like, hey, maybe it's time to give it up. Um, but it was probably the best advice I received in a lot of ways, or among the best, like, maybe this isn't, uh, you know, the MBA isn't in your future. Uh, so maybe consider, are there other paths by which you can get through college without debt? Uh, so I applied to Gonzaga actually kind of really late, uh, and it just was never really on my radar because all I had thought about was where can I go play basketball. Uh, so I applied kind of late simply because it was local, um, and I didn't want to go to the, the local state school. Uh, like everyone was doing that. Uh, nothing wrong with that, but it just kind of wasn't me, so I didn't, first of all, I, I um I don't like Washington State University. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not I'm not applying there. Um, I didn't even think about the University of Washington. I have no idea why. Like, it's a fantastic
0: school. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. an awesome campus. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was really just kind of like, I'm going to apply at Gonzaga. It's 40 minutes away. Uh, and I think they had, uh, so I, I was raised Catholic. So, you know, they had probably had my name from a a database and they sent stuff like, Hey, you can get scholarships. And so it was actually, it was less than the state school, like, you know, scholarships and that stuff kicked in. So it was really kind of, it was really thoughtless, sadly.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Seems good. All right.
0: Yeah. But you also, you know, looking back, just what you talked about, you had your dad and people around you that were able to, um, give you a little dose of reality, but did it with some grace, but also, you know, we're, we're truthful and honest about it. And so, like you said, that being some of the best advice or just life, um, you know, life advice to, as you move forward. Because as you look yeah. back in your life, too, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting is, you know, how do you keep the mindset of either pressing in and moving forward towards a certain goal? Or maybe it's time to pivot and then change direction. And so yeah. there's no there's no um there's no common knowledge or certain way to do that. Everyone has to do it differently and you process information you try to have people around you that speak uh you know truth and a little bit of grace to you at the same time mm-hmm. and then to move forward in the best direction that you can at the time and so it's really interesting to hear how that all works and comes about and sometimes it is a little bit of dumb luck sometimes it is a little bit of uh you know having a goal in mind and, and pressing into it, or maybe just a pivot because you know, it's not going to work out in the way that you might want it to. And so you just change, change that goal or that uh, direction. So it's kind of interesting. You say that about having, having people around you that were able to tell you that, and obviously you went to Gonzaga and yeah, as I, you got I to get. That's
1: a, a big factor um, is uh, so I've thought about some of the topics of your, you know, listen to your podcast and I've thought about some of these to- related topics just over the last several years. And i think one of the biggest factors is the people around you right like you know there, there is no roadmap map of you know, and many different roadmaps can end in success but the people around you kind of being the right type of people uh, in terms of you know being the people who pursue excellence being people who speak truth with grace so those are really huge things so I, I i felt fortunate that you know not only my immediate family but other people that i looked up to you know, we're those type of people that kind of at least help you along the way, right? Support with a little bit of a foot in the ass too.
0: Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Well, so real quickly, you know, just kind of still touching on before you get into college, were there any experiences that, that shaped you? I mean, you talk about a few of them, but uh, ones that you remember that really shaped you at a young age?
1: I think most of the experiences I think about are being part of something else. So a lot of it you know uh, is probably narrowly focused on sports uh, but i think also like being in a band and being uh, you know i wasn't really like in drama but uh, like we had to do like a semester of like you had to be in the theater right uh, sure and i think those are tremendous experiences uh, just you know broadening your horizons and being part of something uh, mm-hmm. it seems like you know then I, I go into academic study right and a lot of uh, you know there's pretty strong social effects of just all of our behaviors uh, so I think those are the really formative experiences that I can think of Are is uh, you know kind of group things like just hanging out with my buddies as a kid I was fortunate that I grew up in a neighborhood with kids my age uh, you know probably <clears throat> through steering of my parents probably in some way I've never really asked them about it uh, but like kids with you know good values, it's not that we were perfect and didn't get in trouble, but you know, mm-hmm. we weren't off doing crazy stuff. We were all had similar things going on. Uh, so I think those are the formative events.
0: Absolutely. Well, t- you talk about your parents, you know, how did your parents help shape you growing up as you look back?
1: Yeah, you know, I think in every, I mean, in every way. Uh, so, you know, going into academic study, like, okay, what explains the variance in people's behavior? the evidence is it's roughly 50-50, like 50% of it is like your nature, like your personality, you're born a certain way, Uh, that explains the way you, the way you are, 50% of it is uh, your nurture, right, like how you're raised, the people you're around, Uh, and and that either, you know, suppresses the the bad parts of your nature or accentuates the good parts of your nature, right, Uh, so I, I think my parents really just instilled a core set of the values and behaviors uh, that at least guide like, hey, this is how I should go about life. And I'm not going to be perfect, but when I'm not perfect, I can own up to it. I can accept responsibility. Uh, when I am maybe perfect uh, or when I do well at something, I can, you know, act like a civil human being and be humble about it. Uh, so I think it's really just that, that guidance of this is how you should go about life. These are the way we do things. And I think that's just in every, you know, in every walk of life that you do. My dad was, was a very, uh, a very like tough man. Uh, like, hey, if you said you're going to be somewhere at six, then you're going to be there at six. Like that's what you said, and if you know if that's your word, and kind of instilled those kind of core hard work, resiliency, uh, the value of your word. It's hard to, you Yeah, know, you try to like, how do we narrow this down? Like the cowboy code is 10 things, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are 10 great things. Like, how do you narrow it down? Uh, but those types of, of things, uh, just kind of instilling a certain way of of
0: being, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, as you got to college, you're at Gonzaga. And so obviously you got involved in the basketball program. And I want to talk about that. But the Gonzaga that you were involved in is uh was on the way to being where it is today it's a little bit different yeah. now <laughs> but absolutely a lot of the people were in place there um and talk about how you got involved with the basketball program and you know why did you get involved and what that was like
1: yeah so when i, I grew up you know, we were like i said 30 40 minutes from spokane uh, my dad worked near the uh, university he had a he was involved in a sporting goods store. Uh, maybe some some similar to debris and still water i mean a little Mm. bigger but they did team sales and so he sold you know shoes and and, uh, uniforms and t-shirts to gonzaga so he knew the coaches uh, which kind of got me in the door um, with working with them because i thought i want to be a coach Uh, but even before that uh, like we had season tickets and i don't even think it was season tickets it was like they needed people to fill the gym so they looked like a division one program right (laughs) um And it's, it's so hard to envision where they are today versus where they were, but I grew up basically going to as many games as we could, and eventually it conflicted with high school uh, schedule, but we would go, and we would go on like the Thursday night game. So I remember, for example, watching uh, Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball play, I would have been about you know, nine, maybe 10. Uh, Doug Christie when he was at Pepperdine, ooh, we went to a lot of games there. So, in that respect, I was a Gonzaga fan. When I was in high school, they started to be pretty good. Uh, So, about 92, which would have been, I would have been in eighth grade, they started, they made the NIT, they won the WCC, and they started to to climb Uh, their first NCAA tournament. I was a junior in high school. uh, And that year, they actually weren't, that wasn't one of their better teams. Uh, Maybe they finished third or fourth in the league, but got hot at the right time. Made the NCAA tournament. Uh, then the next year, maybe NIT. Uh, so my freshman year at Gonzaga, they were, they were pretty good, but they were nowhere near what they were today. I mean, they still weren't filling their gym. It was still pretty small. Matter of fact, the president at the time, uh, my sophomore year, so my freshman year, they had the interim university president. Uh, the other president uh, was kind of ousted unceremoniously. And so the new president came in and he was considering moving them down to D three, like,
0: Oh, really? You know,
1: should we be a division one program? This is, this is a, uh, this is like fall of 97. So this would have been spring of 98. Uh, he gets hired and he's kind of going through this, you know, how would we transition to D three? Is that something we should consider? Uh, Cause there's, there's a number of kind of religious schools in the area, many Catholics, so they would fit. Right. Um, uh, And then that spring, so my sophomore year, we get hot, go to the Elite Eight, and money starts pouring in, applications go up, and it was like, wait a second, (laughs) maybe we should, maybe we should uh, not do that. Uh, So in that respect, it was kind of just fortuitous luck that the university, good things happened at the right time for them. Otherwise, they could have they could have transitioned down, and some of that was just financial constraints at the university. That's uh, pretty it was a pretty small school, like three thousand students when I went there. I think it's almost doubled in terms of undergrads now. So
0: mm-hmm. wow, that's uh, you know, as you hear that, it's drastically changed a little bit. And it's interesting how that happened right about the time that he took over, because obviously they might have transitioned to division three and, and uh, yeah. who knows, who knows what would have happened. But right. obviously they stayed in division one and obviously have have had tremendous success. Yeah, it's
1: it's transformed the university.
0: And there's a lot of factors that weigh in when you do well in athletics, especially, let's just say the NCAA tournament. Like you get a lot of publicity, and notoriety, and it really helps the university in terms of marketing and branding and having new students apply and see the university. So it's a great uh, tool to kind of expand uh, the horizons for the university as well. So obviously that turned out very well, but it's interesting. That's an interesting story. So you got there. You know, mid to late '90s. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: So I uh, was a freshman in 1997. Okay. Uh, so the 1998, '97-'98 basketball season, um, and we had a pretty good team. We won the league, uh, and we won the WCC uh, and lost in the WCC title game to go to the NCAA tournament. And then we went to the NIT. Uh, we won a we won a game at Wyoming. Uh, we went to Hawaii and lost a lost a close game. Uh, so a really good team had a couple uh, a couple guys who were kind of NBA types. Uh, I think Bakari Hendricks maybe had a ten day contract. Richie Fromm, who uh, is a good friend of mine, played. Uh, I think he played six years in the NBA. Uh, Matt Santangelo was a you know training camp guy. So Casey Calvary was a training camp guy. So you know, had a pretty good team. Just didn't get the benefit of the doubt on on Selection Sunday next year just got hot at the right time. I mean, I obviously had a really talented team, but also some of it is just, do you play well at the right time?
0: Mm -hmm. And who was the coach at the time?
1: So my freshman and sophomore year were were Dan Munson. And uh, Dan, actually his first year was my first year. Uh, So he took over for Dan Fitzgerald, who was a longtime coach and athletic director. So Dan was kind of the heir apparent and, and took over. And then, uh, after we got hot in the elite eight he actually took the minnesota job which we played them in the first round so um i'm not i don't want to be disrespectful to dan because i have the ultimate respect for him but i think it was like he was maybe like the seventh person they offered the job to right um so minnesota uh was coming off at that academic scandal okay Uh, if you you remember that like they had gone to the final four and it turns out you know they, they were like writing papers for the players and so they had fired Clem Haskins uh, that year. So we played them round one and they actually had a few guys suspended round one um, in the NCAA tournament. So Dan took that job. Um, and then Mark Fee became head coach for my second two years. Okay. And he's still there.
0: Yeah. We'll talk about, you know, coach Munson getting a chance to learn under him as they were obviously kind of just, they're breaking into, you know, as people would say, success. but they had developed a culture and built a culture. And then all of a sudden, you know, he takes a job and any transition is interesting because always there's a new coach that comes in, whether or not he's on the staff before from a different university, there's going to be some transition in leadership and things are going to be done a little bit differently. What did you see from coach Munson compared to coach few? And then also maybe talk about the change from coach few from an assistant to then a head coach.
1: Yeah. So those are, uh, Two uh, really good questions. So uh, I think uh, it probably helped Dan trans, uh, transitioning in because he had a little bit of the you know heir apparent type setup. So they knew this was happening. So he kind of an internal takeover uh, or an internal transfer. Uh, and I, I think the world of Dan. Uh, it, first of all, he treated me tremendously well uh, when I was uh, it was kind of manager didn't necessarily so his dad was a basketball coach so he had that going but he didn't play college basketball really Uh, no matter of fact he played football at idaho uh, in some capacity maybe like a year or two Uh, but he kind of brought that football player mentality just kind of he's a grinder he's a bulldog uh, whatever you want to say Uh, but yeah dan is a a fantastic guy he's really funny um Kind of a dry sense of humor, like you better uh, you better not have a thin skin.
0: Okay, <laughs> which is
1: great. Uh, I like I was kind of raised that way, so it didn't phase me. It did it did phase some people because you don't necessarily know how to take it, right? Like, is he joking? Is he not?
0: Um, yeah.
1: But, and I think uh, so. He took the Minnesota job late. And like I said, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. Like they they offered it to a few other people, but it was kind sure. of it, it was it kind of in shambles, right? Like, are they going to be on NCA probation? So I think he took the job in like August.
0: Real late, very late. Uh,
1: very late, yeah. Uh, either that or, uh, you know, so it actually probably had to be late July. I, so I have a funny, uh, so we are having basketball camp when they named Mark uh, head coach. So Mark's going for his uh, press conference and they're, you know, they have it in a, they had like a, they call it the bulldog room, which was a fairly nice like hospitality room, post-game type, room uh, and so we have basketball camp going on and we have this thing set up where mark's going to do his press conference and uh, one of my buddies is driving like the camp van right taking taking uh teams around and he decides he's going to pull up if you've been to gonzaga there's a long used to be a long uh, driveway to get to the gym so rather than park in the parking lot and walk he's going to drive the van up and he ends up uh hitting one of the lights like you know one of the uh I don't know, streetlights, right? Sure. And, and it knocks out power in the middle of the press conference. No like, way. Like, right as it's starting out, yeah. So the start of Fuse press conference is like, hey, stop. Can you re-say that? Um,
0: really? Yeah, so every
1: once in a while when I talk to, uh, talk to my buddy, I like, remember the, uh, the press conference. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, so Coach, Few got off to a great start. Yeah, a, a very good start, yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, and, and Mark obviously has done tremendous. And, uh, and I put a lot of the success of Gonzaga really honestly on him, uh, just his mentality, his, uh, so since you've been to campus, you kind of see the building and like Mark didn't accept limitations. Like if there's anything I, I, I learned from him, it's like, you can dream and you can pursue that dream. and You know, you don't have to say, well, we're just a WCC team. We're just a, you know, a small school in Spokane, we can't get the top recruits, like, those were, like, those would have been fighting words kind of with Mark, like, why would you think that? Why would you, why would you want to be part of something that thinks that way? Hmm. Uh, So just his dogged determination and insistence, uh, I think really is the number one factor that, and and then, you know, the administration I think rightfully just kind of stayed out of his way. Right. They're like, Hey, this guy's doing fine. Like don't mess with success. Uh, and that takes that, that takes some good leadership because right. People could, Hey, I can make this better. I can put my, like, they just stayed out of Mark's way, but it's really, the story of Gonzaga's rise is, is partially Dan Munson, but
0: he mm-hmm. is.
1: I don't like it's Mark few.
0: Yeah. In, in my in my opinion. Sure. Well, as an, as an assistant coach, did you know that he would be a great head coach or what are the things you saw as he was an assistant? And then as he's been a head coach now, you talked a little bit about what you think, but also what are some leadership things that you learned from him, but first as an assistant?
1: So that that's kind of an odd transition, right? When you're an internal, when you're an assistant, um, and then you get thrust because just your entire role changes, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't like good cop, bad cop, right? The head coach, in some respects has to be the bad cop uh, you know they, they're the ones that the decision falls on uh, they're you know the ultimate face uh, and so months uh dan munson very much you know that was his role right uh, so he was tough he was demanding and, and when mark was an assistant he could kind of be the, the soft guy right like hey what he's really trying to say is this like so mark was kind of in some respects uh the players coach Uh, and that that role changes when you become the head coach right so uh, I think initially uh, Mark was a little bit lucky that he had an experienced team so when he took over uh, you know I think he had basically all five starters back from the year before uh, but uh, two two guys left and and a key bench player left so we, we lost three good players but had you know, three starters who were upperclassmen. We had uh, kind of the sixth man who was an upperclassman. So he inherited an experienced team who knew him. I think that definitely helped him with the transition because I think it would be a tough, going from the, you know, the good cop to, hey, I got it, everything I do has to change, right? Uh, so it was helpful to him, but I, knew, I, I think he's just a special guy. Like Some, you know, I used to say like maybe there's 20% of coaches who are maybe just better coaches. And there's 20% who are just overmatched and then the middle are like, yeah, they're they're good coaches, but you know, they're not, there's nothing special about him. I think he's just there's something special about him. Like he's just clearly been really successful. He has something.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's you know, some of it I think is he's pretty sharp with X's and O's, that helps, but there's a lot of good X's and O's coaches, right? Sure, I think he's pretty good on the motivation side. Uh, you know, I certainly haven't spent a lot of time directly with him, but he, in, in many years, but uh, when I was with him, he changed you know from assistant to head coach and I think he did a great job. I mean, it's a tough transition. And, you know, I think he's just he's he's got an interesting background. Uh, his dad's a preacher, so he kind of has that philosophical, you know he's he's a cerebral guy in that respect, uh, but he also you know was a college baseball player, uh, so he kind of has that baseball player grittiness, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's that like he just has it. Like the combination is he's clearly just really good.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and being able to have vision as leader, like you talked about before, not accepting any limitations. I think that's a big factor as a leader, because uh, if you let those things hinder you saying we're just a West Coast Conference school and let's just play for a championship for the West Coast Conference. Well, obviously he had a little different mindset. He's like, we're going to do that, but we're also going to play for a national championship. And they've gotten there within the last uh, couple of years for sure. But there's a lot of different characteristics of great head coaches and and, um, obviously having that background of uh, being a great visionary, being a great people person, letting people know that you care but also having great X's and O's and, and understanding how to put the right people in place is really important. And obviously it looks like he's been able to do that. So really cool that you got to be around two, you know, great guys in college basketball and watch them um, succeed. And really even just to watch uh, from your experience of being at being a Gonzaga early on, what a cool place to watch and see as that culture was built and established and as it grew. And then you talk about uh, being on the, on the um, fundraising team that helped, fundraise the new arena so you've you've seen kind of the process from early on to and then yeah. even going back when you're a little kid watching the game so right. really fun yes. for you
1: yeah some of some of my high school buddies and i talk about like we used to walk up and sit like pretty good seats and no one said anything right like yeah hey do you want to go to the game tonight like it was like yeah pretty amazing right uh, and to, to today it's like it's just night and day
0: Always sold out. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Same with the guys I went through college with, like, reflecting is how much things have changed.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, like, uh, when we went to the NCAA tournament the first time, there was a rule that your practice jerseys, if you had shorts and tops, the numbers had to match, right? Uh, We didn't have that. Really? We got new practice stuff for the NCAA tournament because our you know, we we had practice jerseys that said Gonzaga with your number, but we had just generic shorts, right? Um, So we got like new practice jerseys. uh, And some of that was, I think, you know, Nike wanted to help us out, maybe make us look good. Uh, Yeah, little things like that. Like uh, like we got, uh, you know, we'd get team issued sweatpants, right? We had to give them back, right? Really? Check your sweatpants in. Yeah. Yeah, guys, yeah, it's still like, bust our chops about
0: that like that that remember doesn't
1: when you tried to take my sweatpants like hey man i, I was just doing my job right like,
0: yeah so they actually get to keep their sweatpants now at gonzaga i'm guessing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i would hope so i would i would bet so yeah. anyway lots changed but you know through those experiences that you had there are there any fun experiences that you had uh while on staff at gonzaga as i actually as a manager within your time there and then you know talk about being a ga for a little bit too
1: yeah i was really fortunate in that uh first of all, months had treated me tremendously well and, and let me do more stuff because I, I wanted to be a coach and I told him, you know, I had kind of like to So he, you know, let me initially like, hey, can you cut down film? Can you do this? So I ended up taking on more and more tasks. Like one year I helped with the schedule, which was cool. Uh, so the year after the uh, Elite Eight run, uh, I called pretty much every BCS school and called their basketball office. And was like, hey, we'd like to schedule a game. willing to come to your place and the people are like they either wouldn't return the call or uh some of the people are like are you crazy like why would we
0: schedule you right yeah they're being
1: funny but it was like yeah no we're not you you guys come in here and beat us like that's that's not gonna be good Uh, yeah so he let me uh so dan started letting me do stuff like that and mark kind of you know let me keep going so by the end i was like basically in charge of road trips in some in some respects like you know, meals, um, I didn't do hotels, but some of that type stuff. Um, So by the end, I was essentially what I guess now would be maybe an operations director. Mm -hmm. And actually Tommy Lloyd uh, was in kind of the same capacity. So Tommy uh, started after the Elite Eight run. So he started the next year, so my junior year. And he was like subbing part-time, like uh, he was doing his student teaching and then coming into the office like after student teaching was
0: done so kind of really
1: jumped on board too yeah Um, so he kind of got his teeth cut as a volunteer as i was kind of taking on more admin stuff
0: and and for those that don't know coach lloyd just he became the head coach at arizona not too long ago so going from subbing and and uh being an early guy at gonzaga now he's at arizona pretty interesting
1: i think he was coaching like seventh grade football you know getting done at 4 30 and then coming down and like practice would start. He, he missed the start of practice, right? Like wow, driving his uh, I can still picture his car. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I like you know, he was just working his his uh, his ass off, mm-hmm. like of a better term, but getting his feet cut. Uh. So, yeah, it was, it was an awesome time because like we didn't have all the stuff, so we got to do a lot of and you know, we didn't have a staff, so it was it was basically the four coaches. And then they had Tommy and I
0: really, yeah. So as you, as you get into being a GA, uh, what were the things you were doing? And, you know, as you're thinking about coaching, did you start to realize that you didn't want to coach or were you like, I'm all in for coaching?
1: So they uh, started doing more and more stuff with like recruiting and some of that stuff. And, and that's the part that just, uh, I didn't like and I think it's probably even gotten worse. I, I don't know. Uh, even at that, Stage so Mark was like I said he didn't accept like hey we shouldn't recruit this guy right so we're trying to get big guys uh, and with that there was kind of the AAU culture which I think has evolved even more but you know you had these like hangers honors for lack of a better term um, yeah that you know were like the third party who's trying to like hey is my guy gonna get playing time like I don't know like is he good like is he gonna come <laughs> yeah. here and. is he going to compete? Is he the right type of guy? Um, So some of that stuff just kind of was distasteful. Uh, And, you know, I think the culture of people who are really high-end athletes in some respects, at some times, um, they get babied all throughout the process, right? So, like, it's not their own fault in some respects, but, you know, they, they like, come with a handout, right? Uh, Some of those interactions are like, this just isn't for me
0: mm-hmm
1: so i just yeah decided kind of and, and some of it uh, honestly was lifestyle like even at age so i would have been 20 21 you start realizing like it's a grind to be a coach um, and it's gotten better uh, because they've restricted the recruiting period of the summer but those guys were gone basically all summer right like they're out recruiting so that school starts in like August or yeah, late August. So they have like six weeks where life is maybe normal. And then the basketball season starts, right? So it's like, yeah. you know, like, when do they have family time? When do they? Uh, so I was thankful that I got some exposure to that and said, yeah, this isn't really what I'm looking for in a life. Uh, nothing like that's awesome for those that do it. It just wasn't like, I wanted a little different balance.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so those two factors kind of sit. Hey, maybe this isn't for me.
0: Sure. And at the time, you know, your brother is, is still a coach. Was he coaching too at the time?
1: So he uh, he probably, by the time I was a junior, maybe he got his first job. So I, I've uh, got, it's not that long ago. Uh, I'm trying to think. So he <laughs> worked at Whitworth, which is uh, a division three school in Spokane. Then he got a job at an NAI school, uh, Lewis Clark State then Eastern Washington, uh, then Montana. So yeah, Uh, so he would have been doing the same type stuff. Uh, And we never really talked about it. I guess it probably would have been good to reflect on like, hey, here's what I'm seeing. Um, Sure. Just didn't really stop to, right? Like, it just kind of somewhere clicked like, hey, this really isn't how I want to
0: spend my time. Sure, yeah. So you're on, on staff as a GA, you transition into fundraising what was that like as you get out of playing for um or not playing for but just being on staff and getting into a, a little different environment
1: so um some of that was a kind of dumb luck too right uh, so gonzaga was growing and they knew they needed support but i don't think they were quite equipped like uh, and i i think i was probably like the fifth or sixth person that they offered the job to Same same type of story uh at least I know of two others that turned were offered the job and turned down. I assume that you know, I was down the list because I had no experience. Like I'd never done any of this stuff. Um, you know, the only advantage I had was some of them knew me, they knew I would work hard. Uh, but it was really just a t- time of tremendous growth where they went from kind of mom and pop shop to like, hey, we need to, like, we're messing out. We need to formalize some things. We need more resources. So in some respects, it was great because it was like a greenfield, right? I could kind of do whatever and it was easy to have success because we they were building from very little. Uh, and then the people there are fantastic, Mike Roth uh, is a, was, he, he just recently retired, was a great athletic director because he uh, kind of gave some boundaries and then said like, you know, here's some things I'm uncomfortable with in general, go to work, uh, mm-hmm. which I thought I thought was great. Um, so they kind of had a you know it was it was in some ways a really awesome experience to kind of ride the wave up right
0: absolutely yeah and so as you get into that you started thinking about teaching or you had someone that was in teaching how did that come about and then obviously talk about transitioning to oklahoma state and getting to oklahoma state
1: yeah some of it was i sorry i'm but you know athletics, because you coach, it's all consuming, right, so, uh, and then you go into fundraising, it's the same thing, because you have, so you have, uh, so I was doing marketing, too, so, like, you have women's volleyball on a Thursday and Saturday all fall, then you have soccer on, like, Friday night and Sunday, Um, so pretty, pretty soon, you're just working all the time, which is all, like, it's fine, that's what I do, so that's what I did, but when you, like, step back, like, hey I'm starting to miss things that are important to me right like I couldn't go to a friend's wedding I could and I probably could have like I probably could have said hey guys like someone else could do this job for a day but it just wasn't in my mindset at the time to like say hey I, this is important um,
0: mm-hmm. you start
1: missing family stuff right or you're like you know Thanksgiving becomes just the day of Thanksgiving because you're like hey I got to get back for work right uh, yeah so some of that stuff just kind of was in my mind like is this really how i'm going to spend the next and, and nothing there's nothing wrong with those that do that um, it's a true passion mm-hmm. uh, it just wasn't for me uh, i loved gonzaga i loved sports but i didn't want to spend every weekend you know doing women's soccer uh, and i didn't i didn't really like the fundraising part i just didn't like asking people for money mm-hmm. uh, so i started to think okay well what do i do next um uh, and honestly, I, I saw a lot of my professors in Gonzaga like playing noon ball a couple of days a week, uh, you know, rolling into campus at 10. <laughs> looks, looks like a pretty good job. Uh, so yeah, it was really just kind of a, hey, I'm going to try this for two years. Worst case, uh, I'll have a degree. I'll learn something. Then I'll pivot again. Because uh, as you know, too, sports, you don't really make a lot of money. So it wasn't like, I wasn't giving up a lot of money to,
0: Sure. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's really important too, as you, you know, talk back and, and see your story a little bit in the coaching world and then fundraising. Um, athletics is all all consuming to, to some extent for sure. And so there's a lot of sacrifices to be made um, whenever you're in athletics. And so one thing that I think about is understanding what do you value? What are the yeah. things that you value? Why do you value it? And then uh, weighing those things out the pros and the cons and figuring out what's the right fit for you because you do have to have passion you got to love what you do and so the ones that really do and they want to be in those roles they'll continue to work towards that and they're going to make sacrifices because of it yeah. so just understanding what do you value and why do you value it is really key and obviously you you came to that point and started to transition into teaching and so talk about oklahoma state you moved from from Washington all the way down to the Midwest, middle of uh, nowhere, it seems like probably Stillwater. And so yeah. uh, what was that like?
1: So uh, one thing is, like, there's words that mean different things in different regions, right? So um, sure. like very early on, uh, I was like, hey, do you guys want to like come over for a barbecue? And people like, you have a, like, you barbecue? Like, yeah. And I was just like flipping burgers, right? Like, oh, no, like a barbecue is a thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Like, oh, well. I don't know. <laughs> like it's, a, it's an entire cuisine right um, so i think that was maybe like the, the second weekend when i was in Stillwater. like i'm just flipping some burgers for some buddies and they're like oh like we, we call the barbecue like where you smoke meat and uh, okay uh, <laughs> so yeah but now uh, some of those little things are funny uh, and it's a different way of life like i used to call it lunch hour and a half in still water because like no one was in a hurry right like yeah like hey can you take my order <laughs> like uh, which is awesome like i loved that about stillwater it's super friendly uh so some of those cultural things are funny uh, but yeah i i lucked out i feel like everywhere uh, so i've moved a handful of times so i moved to reno from stillwater then back to stillwater but kind of every time i've moved moving from so i moved to a different high school i moved from junior high went to different high school and found awesome friends Went to college. Most of the time, you don't know anyone. Found awesome friends. Went to Oklahoma and found awesome friends. Like there are great people everywhere. Uh, And I think sometimes, you know, people are like, "Hey, I don't want to. I don't want to move because of that," Uh, or it's a deterrent, right? But uh, I've just been really fortunate and and lucky to realize that, man, there are really awesome people everywhere, Uh, and there are awesome people in Stillwater. What a more you know, it's a super inviting, welcoming place, uh, very family-oriented kind of feel. Uh, so immediately fell in with, and I was joined a PhD program, so you're immediately, like, you're on a team again, right? Like, there's a group of, at that time, say there were eight PhD students, and we all kind of have the same goal. We're doing it a little different, but we're all kind of going through these uh, steps together, which was just awesome. So the group I went I went through with... Uh, you know, I still am in touch with all of them. Um, so kind of lucked out that and I also lucked out that we all kind of had similar interests. Like not all of them were into sports at the level I was, but we all were reasonably into sports. Uh, you know, all like to maybe go have a beer occasionally. So just kind of fell into a good group of people too, which is great.
0: Yeah. And I think my story can ring true to that as well. It's just, Whenever you go somewhere, you know, I've been blessed with having great friends, but your point is that there's great people everywhere. And so taking those steps outside your comfort zone, pushing into a new experience um, and and finding people and building relationships that have value is really critical um, just to life. And it's critical just to the enjoyment of life, you know, spending time with people and having friends that really matter is really important. Um, maybe,
1: maybe that's one thing we certainly have in common, but maybe that's one thing that sports teaches you too, right? Like you join a basketball team and you're going to like, there's a guy on your team who you absolutely don't want to hang out with outside of the team, but you get to know him. You're going to ask guys, all right. Pretty. Yeah. We have basketball in common and, you know, come to appreciate his style a little bit. Uh, I think that's a great part of team sports that you learn, you know, maybe this person who you didn't initially know well you come to know and like obviously there's jerks everywhere too but sure once you're open to kind of hey it's this guy has some some weird quirks but he's a great guy right or i didn't know he was a great guy because i i I wasn't open to him before i think sports is great for that
0: absolutely and i think just being around people i I mean i still have friends that i've met just from being on the opposite team just playing against people so much right so those are just amazing ways to connect with different people. And there's also obviously like being in the band, you can do all these different things in life, yeah. uh, but just developing relationships and, and through these experiences, they help shape us and grow.
1: Now remind so, me, did you go to uh, Holland Hall?
0: I did in Tulsa. Yep. So
1: did they, they probably had a, like kind of a liberal arts uh, education model where you had to do like a little dabble in everything.
0: Yeah, there was a little bit of uh, that that mentality for sure, and then obviously at Furman, that's very much the same too yeah. in South Carolina. Um, so yeah, you had kind of that broad array of things that you're doing. Like you know, photography is one thing I did, yeah. at Oklahoma, or at the Hall and Hall, which um, is like a
1: totally different group of people that are into that, right? Than that traditionally than that are into basketball. So you yes. like learn this. Right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and to going to that point, I think, you know, going to a smaller school, that's that's, uh you know, more that mindset. You also like uh, we wound up getting into show choir, ironically. And, uh, you know, I look back and, you know, sometimes at the mom was like, I don't want to tell people that. But at the same time, like now it's like, you know, I'm OK, I'm, I'm OK with myself to say that. But yeah. you learn a lot through those experiences, whether or not they're the same things that you've continually done over time. It's just something new. It's different. Uh, you meet different people and you have these things that shape you and it's just a a really fun part of life and it's something to remember moving forward
1: yeah i, I really value those uh <clears throat> the kind of the liberal arts model for lack of a better term or though like and my parents did a good job of kind of forcing me like i, I played piano when i was a kid and i always felt like a nerd right like those experiences in the pp meter and just broaden your horizons uh you don't even realize it at the time, but just a different way of learning, a different kind of exposure.
0: And Absolutely. So
1: really value that stuff.
0: And like we talked about before, just finding out what you value, you can't figure that out until you, you have these experiences, you know? And I think Absolutely. Uh, doing all types of different things, especially at a young age, if you can, you get a taste of, of everything. And then as you yeah. you kind of learn more about it and you dive into it, like then that's great. But have having these experiences help you understand what you're getting yourself into and it's all right if you get into something and pivot into something else but yeah. just having these things is really important i agree 100 percent. Totally agree yeah so and and transitioning that into uh academic life so how did you go about getting into obviously leadership you're in management uh you did marketing you had that background behind yourself um and so what what are some things that you've learned along the way um as a professor and just teaching students and then talking about leadership development, uh, management of people and business, all these different things.
1: Yeah. So I think uh, maybe you can appreciate this being in sports. Like it's a weird dichotomy when you're working your way up the ladder. Like you want someone to be fired, right? Like, Hey, I need, you're, you're at Furman and you need the guy at South Carolina to get fired. So your guy can get the job and either like you can move with them or you can move up. Uh, So kind of studying that process of, you know, how do people move um, exposes you to a lot of different, like there is no one path, right? Which then kind of raises questions like, okay, if there is no one path, like how do people get where they're at? So that's kind of where I went in academics. Um, So the things you're talking about are things like I constantly think about, like, how do I boil down, like if I'm trying to give, because you got to boil things down, right? You got to like, there are a hundred things, but how do you get it to three or five to give people some lessons? And I, I don't think as a society, society yet, we're uh, not in academia, right? There's so many things that matter uh, or in the, the study of leadership, right? So these like the one thing, uh, like, even the three things, like, hey, can we broaden that? Like, uh, so I, I think about this all the time, and I don't have a great answer. So I'm always curious of what others say. Like, what are the core lessons? Um, but I have, since you kind of asked, um, I've been thinking about it, and I've, I've thought about this a lot. And I keep trying to refine my answer. Um, I think you, we've hit on one is kind of knowing what you value, knowing yourself. Um, so that's one. So whenever people ask me like, hey, you know, career advice, or I generally start with like that, like. What are you trying to get like it's it's path dependent if you're trying to get money that's a different thing than if you're trying to get um, a really flexible job right like eventually they may come together but you know like pursue it you pursue a path uh, and that path precludes other paths uh, so kind of knowing you know start with the end in mind kind of thing so what are you trying to get that's a tough question because. How do you how how do you answer that at age twenty, right? Or even how do I answer it at age forty? Like, what am I trying to get? I think about that all the time, and it changes, right? Like, sure, I just had a kid, so now it's it's changed in the last year. Like, now what I'm trying to get is to make sure that I can provide her with the things that I was provided, and make sure I'm available. Like, it's what if I died tomorrow, right? Like, it just things change. but some acknowledgement of that. And the other thing that I try and stress with people is, that uh, I call it independence, and I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, I think we spend a lot of our time worried about what other people think. And you kind of mentioned this, like, hey, I'm secure enough to say that I was in chill choir. Like, yeah. that's a that's a big moment, right? Like, the fact that you're okay saying that, because I don't know, you like, how long did you hide it for, right? Like, um, so, And that's just one example, but uh, being independent of, you know, maybe what your parents will think. And and that's not to say like, don't take their advice, uh, but that's to say like, you know, if they have this path in mind for me, but that's not my path, being uh, independent enough in your own thinking to say like, no, I'm like, this is what I wanna do. And I've thought about it. and, uh, And that's a tough boundary because if like five or six people you care about are all telling you it's a bad idea, it might be a bad idea, right? Sure. But being independent of uh, how you carry yourself, like you know, some people might think you're you're weird because you wear a Nike hat, or like, well, this is who I am, and being comfortable enough that uh, in your own skin to say, like, no, this is this is who I am. Uh, I think we're so malleable as people early on in our life that we're worried about, you know, are we making this friend happy? Are we making and we don't make ourselves happy, right? And like, so those are really two things that I like, what are you trying to, to get? And are you worried about external influence that maybe you shouldn't be worried about? Uh, maybe we can all empathize with like FOMO, right? We've all had that feeling. Uh, that people are worried about us when we're not there. and Chances are they really aren't, right? they sure. worried about what they're doing at that moment. Like whether you're there or not, they're gonna have fun playing golf. Like they yeah. don't want you there but they're not, they're not like obsessing about you not being there. Right. Um, some of those, so yeah, I call it kind of just independence. Like, are you, are you willing to make the decisions for who you are rather than, you know, being influenced by others?
0: Yeah. And, and how would you say, based upon your experiences of, of studying these types of things of talking about these types of things, how do people develop that?
1: I don't know. So I struggle with this, too, because I'm not uh, not certain that I haven't mastered. In fact, I'm certain that I don't, um, <laughs> because hey, maybe you can empathize with this one, too. There, there are decisions in your life, and you try and articulate them, right? Like, I'm trying to articulate this in a, in a nice way, but it comes across too direct, right? Or comes across maybe dismissive of the other person. Uh, it's like that maybe is the extreme um, view of independence, right? Like, uh, I shudder to use this example, but uh like if you've watched The Good Doctor or like someone where they maybe do a spin on autism where the people are like so pure in how they think that they don't worry, right? There's like, this is who I am. Uh, Like the lack of social processing is uh, totally refreshing but can cause problems, right? Like, hey, you can can be too direct or you can be too, like, no, this is who I am too much. Uh, So there's a balance, right? Uh, And finding that right balance of being appropriately independent while also you know being reasonably accommodating to other people is is difficult Mm -hmm. it's like hey does anyone want to do this thing that um has to be done but that you don't want to do like no no one wants to do it right like that that vince vaughn movie you should want to put the dishes away like why would i (laughs) why, why would i want to do that right like i'm willing to empty the dishwasher but I don't want to, I would rather do something else. Um, so there's that balance. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I, uh, have mastered it by any means. In fact, I'm confident that I haven't, but I do try and reflect on that, uh, point f- fairly routinely. Like, you know, am I making a decision for the right reasons or am I making it because I'm worried about what someone else will think? Mm-hmm. And, and if it's the latter one, um, that can be a kind of a dangerous area, right? Like you got to worry about what other people will think a little bit. Cause you have to be like, Hey, everyone has to sacrifice a little to help the, the team, but uh, kind of that gray area is tough to navigate. So I'm constantly something I reflect on.
0: Absolutely. Well, a lot of it goes down to being true to yourself, understanding who you are as a person, having yeah. confidence in that, but also having humility to not be overly confident and arrogant um right. is really critical to that i would think
1: yeah so were you part of the uh dare like say no to drugs campaign or was that like there's like a, a few year period where they had dare right
0: okay yeah, yeah. i think i might have remember hearing about that yeah, it was like a
1: nationwide like how, how how uh basically trying to teach you how to say no right in appropriate ways okay right? and it's that balance because you can't say no to everything right like then that, that's like we well, be counter cyclical, you'll eventually have no friends, and it'll lead you to drugs, right? So, like, sure, dare, dare turn out being this like weird, like it taught people to be social loners in some ways, right? Uh, whether that whether there's evidence of that, but that, that was one of the counter arguments, right? Like, um, so finding that right balance of being true to yourself to make good decisions uh, without going to the extreme uh, is really a, a life lesson for a lot of things drugs uh exercise alcohol abuse uh, being obsessed with your your phone being you know anything you do to an extreme that then you know is detrimental to other aspects of your life some you know something I by no means like I probably use my cell phone too much right like hey I'm sitting here and my wife's trying to talk to me and I'm looking at baseball scores like Okay, sure. you're a little out of balance. Like, you're now, you know, you're beholden to your phone. Um, yeah. So at least it's a point I try and reflect on.
0: Yeah, and another point I think that you brought out just a little bit ago is um, kind of simplicity from that perspective, where you know there's so many things, but trying to boil things down and make them simple and concise because there's so many ways that we can go, but if we have some some principles or some things that we focus on. That keep us down the right path, whichever path that might be for each person yeah. is, is really uh, important as well. Yeah, we're all going to veer off,
1: right? I mean, they're going to mm-hmm. be like, no one's perfect.
0: Yeah. And I'll throw this at you too, because I think this is one that, you know, I'm still obviously learning, growing, whatnot, but I'm an avid reader. I listen to a lot of different people, talking with people all the time. Like, I just, I love that type of environment. And so one of the things that I've, I've thought about a lot, is it when you boil it down to some questions? Because I think you can't say this and make it general for everybody. I think if you ask questions, that gets to each individual and hits them differently, right? Absolutely. And so there's three things that I've, I've thought about a lot that I think are really, you know, critical to uh, direction, success, and understanding yourself. But it's just what do you want? Why do you want it? And what are you going to do to get it? and evaluating those questions
1: yeah that's really that's pretty simple and
0: yeah and it's not it's not so it's not it is simple but it also is complex right as we think about and process those things but as you talked about just having a path to go down it's okay to pivot it's better to have a target and then move the target just having a goal that you're working towards and going in a certain direction if it moves it moves but just having uh, that in front of you to keep pressing forward into those things and now i'd rather have something in front of me than just kind of wandering aimlessly um, yeah, per- personally absolutely and so i think that's really important too but i, I just thought, I was curious what you thought about that because those are some things that i found if you can answer those questions typically people can have a better appreciation for each and every day and be more present you know a common theme in the podcast is you know be where your feet are and so just be yeah. in the moment and that's really critical too. Um,
1: that's really so, critical.
0: Yeah. But you know, it's simple, but not so simple, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, totally. Yeah. So going into, you know, what you're doing now, you're at the university of Florida, um, teaching and talk about leadership and management. What are some things and some, some characteristics that make a great leader, manager, uh, business person that you found based upon your time of being around?
1: Yeah. So, uh... Same thing, trying to boil it down, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> so I, I spend, uh, so same with you. So maybe one thing we could add to our list is being open to learn, right? Like, uh, hey, I spend a lot of time reading and thinking. And, uh, that's really powerful. Uh, I would assume that that's a really um, good trait of leaders, although I, off the top of my head, unaware, of, you know, I guess, personality would be openness, maybe openness to experience. Uh, but that's really powerful that you would say that because I, I spend a lot of time asking. Basically, the thing you're doing with this podcast is awesome because I spend a lot of time, successful people I know, like, how'd you get here, right? Like, how do you boil it down? How do I find How do I find you before, you know, if I'm looking for a doctoral student, how do I find Bailey Miles? How do I find, you know, the grinder that is also a good person? That, uh, mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time thinking about that since I study uh, leadership too or executive leadership find it like how do i how do I find what's made people like why is mark Few successful why is some of the people you've had on in politics or in you know ministers or business like why are they successful I don't know that we can boil it down to any even handful of things um, I like your your three I wrote that down because I think that's good questions to ask but if then we answered them, I don't know that we could even like, because it's so different, right? It's path dependent. Uh, mm. But I do think uh, some commonalities that that I've found in people is, uh, one, you have to be willing to work. Like work ethic is like table stakes, right? Uh, so there's a study by, uh, I think it was some Harvard people and they actually tracked executives over like a 10 year period, right? Uh, and they found like, knowledge and work ethic like those are like they're given so they're like not even factors because people who don't have them don't even get into this pool of people right so like we can't even really estimate that because like they're estimated out so yeah a baseline knowledge obviously what you do but the ability the ability to work hard i think can't be uh, can't be underestimated so mm-hmm. i think rarely will you see a successful leader that doesn't have a solid work ethic. Uh, And then uh, one thing that we've touched on kind of indirectly throughout this is kind of being authentic to yourself, who you are. Uh, So in leadership, they call it authentic leadership, right? Uh, If you're a a brusque person, but you're like authentically brusque, right? Like that's who you are and people know what to expect. Uh, That's better than being malleable terms of not being consistent, right? So uh, now hopefully that authentic person is a good caring person, Uh, but just knowing who you are and being that is important. Uh, I haven't seen a uh, a lot of evidence on the being open to learn, but I think in some way, like the world's changed so much, right? Like think about our childhood and in the grand scope of life, that's a pretty small leap of time but like the world is so different, right? We now have cell phones, we have technology. Uh, you know, what's the world going to look like post COVID? Uh, yeah. So, you know, like, change is constant. You have to be willing to kind of reinvent. And,
0: and have that openness like you talked about. Yeah.
1: So I would say those are kind of some key factors. Mm-hmm. And... Kind of, so I have, a, I have notes in my phone that I constantly update. Huh? And so those are, Those are things that I've written down over time.
0: Yeah. And as you go through and you have these programs that work with executive leaders, you know, what are you helping them do when they're coming into your program?
1: So uh, I think a a few things are are number one, a a little bit of self-actualization. Like I'm not a psychologist, but at least knowing who you are and knowing your own proclivities. Uh, So there's a, a, a competency trap, right? Like people who get to a certain level of success have gotten there for a reason uh, but that's not always a good thing, right? Like, uh, so if we go back to the Challenger disaster, right? The thing that made the, the uh, space shuttle blow up had been there for a long time. It just hadn't, right, failed. Uh, but the probability of its failing was was pretty high. So uh, you, know, you kind of have to look at, this is still a problem, even though, you know, like, they had however many launches in a row where it was a problem. Uh, so just starting out with self-actualization and, like, Hey, these are some biases that I have, rightly or wrongly. Um, I tend to be pretty optimistic. You know, that can be a good trait in a lot of ways, but that can be, you know, a bad trait in a lot of ways. Uh, so just trying to understand, hey, this is this is who you are, and then trying to understand some basic some basic influencers, right? Whether they're so you know we kind of block it up into four, like who you are is one, uh, the situation you're in, so. You know, if somebody dangles a bunch of money in front of you, that may change your behavior, right? Uh, just trying to understand external motivators, and then the people you're around—that's uh, uh, that's a big one. And then fourth is just the context. So, like, are you in a situation that allows you to kind of keep having this competency trap, or are you in a situation where you've systematically put things in place to slow you down and make good decisions? Uh, so what happens, you get someone on, like Elon Musk, right? He's clearly brilliant, he's had a lot of success, but then he's, he's in a situation where there's no one really slowing him down. And that can be really problematic. Mm. Um, so if you've watched Tesla's stock price, right? Like shh, huge tank, now it's back up. But then last week he was in trouble again. You're like, this is a, a pattern, um, not to not to pick on Elon Musk, but like this is a pattern of someone who's obviously brilliant but is in a situation where there's no checks and balances in place yeah it's hard for us to like rain you know who wants to put checks and balances on ourselves, right um, but understanding the importance of, of that so we kind of that's kind of like a, a common model in, i guess in, uh, executive kind of walk through those like ah, i won't worry about money well you say that until right uh, sure so trying to just walk through the evidence of, you know, what do we know about this? So we can hopefully avoid it in the future.
0: Absolutely. And what you just talked about are great things to ask yourself and and understand about yourself as well. And having a system of checks and balances in place or having a person that can help you uh, essentially be a checks and balances type person for you, speaking what you talked about at an early age, your dad and the people around you. Speaking a little bit of truth, Grace, kind of keeping you in check and and getting you going in the right direction. So I know uh, we got to get out of here here in just a second. So I want to dive right into the uh, fire round real quick. Yeah, yeah. I'll just go ahead and and say something. You can finish it with a, a word or a sentence so you can do anything if.
1: is the start of a really bad sentence right (laughs) because because the the answer is uh if you put your mind to it right we've learned that for a long time i i don't think that's the best advice like i can't play in the nba i can't play major league baseball um so yeah i think is a a, is a statement we should use carefully maybe
0: okay awesome uh diligence is
1: careful and persistent effort
0: Favorite vacation spot?
1: Oh, man, you'll appreciate this. It has to be Sydney, Australia, right?
0: Yes. It's magical
1: for you, but it's just a magical place.
0: Yep, absolutely. Uh, Learning means? Uh,
1: Learning means, uh, I would just say acquiring knowledge, which I guess could be a skill, but constantly acquiring
0: new insights. Favorite basketball or academic experience?
1: Oh, man. Uh, So I was part of that Elite Eight team at Gonzaga. And I would say, is that the favorite? Uh, And part of it, we were so naive at the time. Like, didn't necessarily appreciate it as much as I should. So I look back and, like, totally positive. But uh, I wasn't as in the moment, maybe, as I should have been. Or I was, like, I didn't realize how powerful that was. Uh, But I would say probably the last game that I personally played is probably one of my favorite
0: awesome just because yeah, it's more salient for me yeah absolutely it all comes down to
1: wow too many things right we've we've touched on so many on this um, i guess i would if i had to say one thing i would say being true to yourself
0: yeah that's great so we're done with the fire round is there a yeah. certain certain piece of best advice you've ever received
1: so yeah, I'm like a quote person and an advice person. So my, my my phone is like overwhelmed with little bits of knowledge. Like I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Like, yeah. them together. Like maybe I need to make a quilt. <laughs> yeah, like show little sayings. I don't know. Um, so I, I don't know if there's uh, I don't know if there's one best piece of advice that I've, I've received. Uh, one one that I think about a lot is uh, maybe this is too long of a story. Um, so I wasn't like a big partier in high school, uh, but I went to a party and I wasn't drinking, uh, but I, I came home and my dad said, where, where were you? And of course I lied to him. Uh, and he said, oh, that's funny because these people called and said that you were there, <laughs> <laughs> busted, right? Um, and then he went into this whole like story about, you, know, you, know, you shouldn't lie. Uh, but the thing that resonated the most with me about it is like, if you're going to accept uh, that of yourself, then you know, like who am I? I was a senior in high school. Like, hey, you're you're an adult now. Like who am I to tell you that if that's what you want to accept uh, for how you behave, then you know you're an adult. Like accept that, uh, which is like there's just this ultimate arrow, right? Like I know it's wrong, uh, but uh, the the uh, best piece of advice is uh, is uh, what you accept is what you get, right? So like, if you're willing to accept whatever it is, like, that's what you get, or better start working your way out of it, which uh, I loved your, uh, your, uh, third point is how, how are you going to get out of it, right? So if you accept lying, you're a liar, right? If you accept suboptimal effort, you're a suboptimal effort person. Yeah. So it's, it's resonated with me in a lot of times, like, yeah, I just lied, should I have done that? Even if it's kind of a white lie, like, well, start accepting that, that's who you are. So I, I think about that moment a lot in life.
0: Now, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great story and, and a great piece of advice. Well, this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you?
1: Yeah. So it's, uh, I have a recency bias here because I really liked the three things that, uh, that you said. Like if you did those, if you really knew what you wanted and you had a solid reason of why you wanted it and you were taking proactive steps, like man, that's excellence in some ways. I mean, you can be, uh, say you're someone with severe physical limitations, but like you're doing the best you can on those three things. That's pretty powerful. So, man, I'm I'm stealing your uh, thunder in some ways. Uh, But boiling it down, I I think excellence is uh, doing what you want to do to the best of your ability, all things considered, right? Like, Mm -hmm. sometimes we have time limitations and we have to maybe cut some corners that we don't want to, but that's life. But yeah, you know, doing the doing the best that you can with uh, with all variables considered.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Aaron, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. For people that you know didn't ever get to know the background of how we became uh, friends, is that you know I was in college trying to get into coaching, wound up coming across you via just being in a, a my college counselor. She said, "I think if you're getting into coaching, I think there's a, a guy who used to coach at Gonzaga or something." And so from there we met. I think you probably are the sole person aside from God that we can thank for Chandler and I's relationship. Cause you yeah. talked me into going to the Australia trip. So yeah, this, is guy, this is the guy, this is the guy behind behind the trip that talked me into it and got some buddies to go and obviously met Chandler there. And yeah, so that's
1: where you met. So,
0: uh-huh. head, so I'll
1: take that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. But anyway, just thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing your, your story, your experiences, the things that you've learned along the way, the things that you impart to people every single day as you teach. Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to uh, man. I saw your slate of uh, your slate of uh, guests. Like, wow, it's cool that I'm I'm part of it. But uh,
0: absolutely, yeah. Really
1: appreciate what you're doing, man. This is uh, if we help one person, right, if, if something that one of these podcasts gets out and helps one person or two people uh, or three people, like that's pretty powerful. So good on absolutely. you for doing
0: it. Thank you. Well, is if if someone wanted to follow you or learn more about you, or um, what's the best way to follow you or get in touch? So
1: I'm uh, I'm like on social media, but I post very rarely. Um, And usually it's like just funny insights, hopefully funny or ironic insights. Um, But hey, just shoot me an email. Like uh, I'm at University of Florida. So Google Aaron Hill, University of Florida. Uh, Always happy to connect with people and and talk about uh, mutual interests. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thanks
0: for being on the show. Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.